tonight we're going to talk about parents must teach their children about whom to marry. I had to, I had to get my daughter, the English teacher, to make sure that it was whom or who. I couldn't remember which. So it's whom to marry. And when we talk about this particular subject, it coincides, brothers and sisters, with what we were talking about the other night in regards to the fact that we need to teach our children early. Well, Chuck, you're talking about teaching children about who to marry or whom to marry. When does that start? Well, it's a principle, right? Is it not? And when we talk about the principle of whom to marry, we can always tell our children from the very beginning that you are going to marry someone who you what? Date. I had a guy that was a high school teacher uh, at, at the church we attended. He always used to say that. He goes, I, I can tell you exactly who you're going to marry. And it's like, okay, who? He says, it's, it's someone you date. Well, duh. But, I mean, that, that's true. So when we talk about our children and whom they should marry, do we not now need to talk about who they're going to date? Because if the principle is that they're going to marry someone that they date, then they need to be careful about what? Who they date. So when we talk about this particular principle, we need to understand, just as with all other subjects that we've talked about, that we as parents have a great responsibility, uh, both as Christians, and I think we always need to make sure that we understand that, Christians and parents, to train our children in the way of the Lord. And again, what is our number one goal as a Christian? Get to heaven. That, you know, that is our, if, if I accomplish nothing else in life and I go to heaven, guess what? I'm more successful than anybody on this earth who, you know, gained a million, billion, whatever dollars, right? So we need to make sure that when we train our children in the way that they should go, part of that is helping them understand, and I think this is part of the challenge we have, understanding the seriousness, the seriousness of choosing a mate, right? Oh, man, if you watch TV, if you watch movies, if you... Uh, particularly this garbage reality shows where, oh boy, you go on an island and you hook up and oh, that's just, that's just love, isn't it? No, that's nonsense. That's not anywhere close to what God desires for a man and a woman who are to come together to live through the remainder of their life as a couple, as a one. That's not how he intends the beginning of that relationship to occur. When we talk about teaching our children whom to marry, and we talk about beginning to teach them early, it's because you know as well as I do, when you wait too long to start teaching your children about something, what happens? Man, they're resistant, aren't they? They don't want to, I've already got it, you know, I can't even begin to tell you in the last four years how many times I've heard Jacob say, oh, no, I already know that. And my comment back to him is, okay, then explain it to me. He can't explain it. Why? Because he doesn't know it. He thinks he has a concept of it, but reality is always different than what? What I think it's going to be. So when we talk about starting early with our children, we need to understand that this is because 
we have at that time the greatest opportunity to help provide them the training, the teaching, the understanding that they need in order to be able to choose the right companion. The person that's going to spend the rest of their life, or the rest of their life with them. Again, our goal. Our goal is to get to heaven. And so when I talk about the, the fact that I want to marry, right? I want to have a family. If my goal is to get to heaven, brothers and sisters, I'm going to say this, and, and, and I'm going to say this as the rule, and then I'm going to come back and caveat this. It is one of the most unwise things that you can ever do in your life to then choose someone who does not have that same goal as you do. Why? Because it's going to be that much more difficult for you to attain the goal. Now, I understand that there are exceptions. We all know that there are exceptions to that rule. But what I'm going to tell you is, in the 20 plus years that I've been preaching or counseling, I can tell you the majority of the times when I have counseled with individuals who have married a non-Christian, that marriage is what? In deep, deep trouble. All they said that if I married them, they would come to church with me, they'd study with me, they would become a Christian. And guess what happened? It didn't happen. Now, we're, you know, again, not saying that they weren't sincere, they probably were sincere. But the problem, brothers and sisters, is that when we have a goal in life that is spiritual, I want to go to heaven, and that person is raised in a society and has the background of success is equal to secular, how hard is it to get them to understand spiritual? Jim? I'm an example of this. I wasn't a Christian. Carolyn should have never dated me. I've told her that many times, and I don't think she's ever disagreed, so I feel comfortable saying this. We're the exception. Folks, you look around and you see the exceptions because you're in church. In the world, there aren't that many exceptions. Your exceptions are the ones that the women were successful or the men were successful, and we're here in church together, right. so we think that it works often. Right. Right. It doesn't work all right. that often. Right. The, point I, the point I want y'all to understand. And, and again, I, and Steve, I want you to jump in here in just a second. I'm not saying that you can't marry a non-Christian. Okay? Obviously, I'm not saying that. But what I'm going to tell you is that your life in serving God, your life in trying to reach heaven, your life in raising Christian children and grandchildren is going to be made much more much more possible, that's not even right verbiage, but whatever. You know what I'm saying. It's going to be easier, right, if I marry what? A Christian. Steve? Comment? No, I'm just, I had this discussion with a guy, a brother who called me and, and said he struggled with this because a family member is marrying a non-Christian. And he, need, he felt the need to tell him that, that that's wrong. And I said, listen, you, we, we got to be careful because I don't think there's biblical, like you right. said, I don't think the biblical precedent for a Christian uh, is, is, is sinning if they marry a non-Christian because yeah. that's not the way God set right. things up. However, right. us as Christians, it's it's like it's the it's the right thing to do 
to marry in the faith. Because otherwise, you're just looking at life like this instead of down the road at your children's children. What's going to happen there? And so I think it's so important that we have this discussion, not so that we make people feel bad, not so that we condemn or point our finger at, but that we just be aware of how we're training our children and our grandchildren. And and here's here's what the final thing I want to say about this before we move on. Combine this thought with what we talked about the other night where we have seven to eight out of every ten of our children lose the faith by the time that they've reached the end of the first year in college. Okay? Let's just say out of those seven to eight, five of them get married. And let's say that five of them marry non-Christians. Is our ability to bring them back going to be easier or harder if they're married to a non-Christian? be a lot harder. Why? Because when you marry someone who is a Christian, they have a like faith. They have a like goal. Right? Again, if you're marrying someone who's not a Christian, their desires, what they consider success, what they consider happiness, doesn't reach what we see as heaven, or as happiness, which is heaven. Charles? They leave church. They will not. They don't come back. What church are you talking about? I'm talking about the Lord's church, Charles. It's the only, that's the only church there that we're talking about. It's the only church. It's the Lord's church. All right. Let's talk about the crisis that we have at hand. The crisis that we have at hand is, in our country, past statistics show that we have approximately a 45 to 50% divorce rate in this country. Then, for those who have a divorce and choose to marry a second time, their divorce rate for that second marriage goes up to 67%. And then if they choose to marry a third time, their divorce rate's at 73%. Brothers and sisters, when we talk about these statistics, what that tells us is that we are not training our children to understand the importance of not just marriage, but the process that they go through leading up to choosing a mate and being married. Okay? They need to understand certain Value certain aspects of the marriage relationship. They need to understand how God views the value, the great value of marriage. He sees a high importance in marriage. And we're going to look at several passages this evening that talk about it, beginning in Genesis, Matthew, Ephesians. So he sees a great value placed upon a marriage relationship. The marriage vow. Again, you go back and you look at uh, the things that we talked about in class uh, September through February this past year. There's a whole litany of things that go into the marriage vow. It's not just saying, you know, I take you, I take you, and then that's it, right? There's, There's commitments. There are responsibilities to each other that are, again, ordained by Scripture, they're not man-made. They're, they're God-ordained. 
and we need to understand what they are. The man, the Christian man has a very specific role in marriage that they need to ensure that they undertake, as does the Christian woman. And let me say this. I, you know, I grew up in the church, and, and my dad was an elder, and, and you know, my mom, I, I never even understood what women's lib and, and equal rights and all that stuff was through the 70s and 80s, okay? Because my dad put my mom on a pedestal of she is on equal of his importance in this relationship with me. And it goes back to what Steve was talking about last night, you know, did you ask your mom? Yeah. What did she say? Okay. That's what we do. Right? So, the role of a Christian woman is important. And we cannot, you know, we cannot allow society to dictate to our children what they view the role of a woman in marriage is and have that be what our children understand. Our children need to understand that there are keys to successful marriages. Right? There's keys to successful marriages. And again, we've talked about some of them this, this week. There's also failures in marriage. And can I tell you, and, and again, I, I will go back to, in my years of counseling, I have never used any book in counseling with anybody other than the scriptures. I mean, I know there's a lot of great writers out there, and I know there's a lot of men who are a lot smarter than I am. But brothers and sisters, when you talk about something that God ordained, which is marriage, can I tell you that he's going to provide you every answer you ever need in order to make that marriage work? We don't need men to tell us how to be successful in marriage. And we need to talk about what, a Bible, what the Bible teaches about being a father and a mother and a team. Again, it goes back to part of what Steve was talking about last night. And again, there's a plethora of subjects that we could talk about. Again, helping our children prepare to be married. Why is it so important, the marriage relationship? Well, again, you go to look at scriptures. Marriage is primarily a what? A spiritual relationship. It's more than just a union of two bodies coming together. Right? We're talking two souls that God has said to leave your father and your mother and the two shall become what? One. And Peter talks about the fact that they are joint heirs under salvation. So when we talk about marriage, it's much more than just two people coming together, living in a house, and trying to adjust to bathroom schedules and shower schedules and all these other schedules, right? We have a purpose as one in a spiritual relationship with God to affect those around us and help each other get to heaven. Why? Because, brothers and sisters, if we talk about the, the marriage relationship as God has it, as God desires it, this is what it's to look like. The man has an individual relationship with God. The wife has an individual relationship with God. The husband and wife have a relationship with each other, and they both, as one, have that relationship with God. Okay? When we talk about living our lives to please God, 
when we're talking about the marriage relationship, it's not just me trying to live right for God. It's what? My spouse trying to live right for God, and then we as that spiritual unit trying to live for God. Turn with me to Genesis. Look with me in the second chapter. verse it says the Lord said it's not good that man should be alone I will make him a what a helper not a slave not a servant a helper comparable to him and out of the ground the Lord gave or the Lord formed every beast of the field every bird of the air brought them to Adam to see what he would call them and whenever Adam called each living creature that's what it's named And so Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh in his place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now what? Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh... She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, therefore, understand this is what he's saying. A man, man, masculine, shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, feminine, and they shall become what? One flesh. Man, so let's, let's clear up one thing really quick here. In a world who says homosexual marriage, transgenderism, all this other uh, perversion that they throw out on the table, oh, that's just society, that's just, you know, that's just us becoming advanced in our thinking. No, what that is is we're becoming more perverted in our society and we're sinning against God. When we talk about the husband and the wife relationship, God has never made an exception. One man, one woman, shall leave their father and mother, and the two shall be joined as one flesh. To serve God, to live for God, in the manner in which God has subscribed for the remainder of their life. Notice also, he doesn't say one man and one man, one woman and one woman. Again, every example, one man one woman to be joined together. Brothers and sisters, you have to want to disobey God in order to misunderstand that. Because there's just no other explanation out there. So let's just talk about some principles. And uh, most of them are in this handout I gave you. I, I, I'm not as smart as Steve. I can't narrow my outlines down to one page. <laughs> Sorry, bud. It's four pages. I saw the best I could do. But I want to talk about some principles that, you know, it, when we talk about teaching our children about whom to marry, how do we help drive them to the right understanding and, and to be successful and pleasing to God? Well, first is 
They need to marry for love. Okay? Now that may sound like a totally ridiculous concept, but brothers and sisters, how many times have we seen people marry because of physical attraction? How many times have we seen people marry because of mutual friends or, or mutual uh, likes or I mean, in some cases dislikes? Okay? And at some point, what happens to that? It gone. It's gone. It fades away. You know what? She doesn't look as good as she did 10 years ago. Or he doesn't look as good as he did one year ago. Yeah, see, I, I, I tried to get myself out of that. The woman aged a lot better than the man did. All right? Okay? What I'm saying is, when we talk about who to marry, whom to marry... We need to make sure that we're married for the reason that God tells us we, to, we are to marry, for love. Look at the three basic obligations that we have in Scripture. They're to love God, we're to love our neighbor, and we're to love ourselves, right? And what does the passage tell us about loving our spouse? Yeah, you're one, so if you love yourself, guess what? You love them too. Because love is so basic, I am a firm believer that no marriage can be truly what God designs or desires for it to be unless the two people involved truly have the right relationship with God, each other, and with themselves. You know anybody who hates themselves? There are a lot of people out there, right? unhappy people in life. They don't like themselves. And can I tell you that if I don't like myself, what? I'm not going to like anybody else either. Right? I'm not going to like anybody else either. So we need to make sure that we truly love God and we're looking at each other and ourselves in the manner in which God looks at us. Okay? Now, I want to tell you, Lynn and I have been married for 32 years. And I know this is going to be shocking to some people, but we have had some knockdown dragouts through that time. I know it's amazing, isn't it, Tim? You'd have never thought she was that mean. She's here, but she's way over there. All right. No. And the reason that we had the problems, the challenges we had, and I'll raise my hand, it was me. Guess what? I didn't look at her as God looked at her. What did I look at her as? Huh? My wife. You're supposed to do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want, right? Right? No. The two shall become one flesh. God created a helper, not a servant. God created a helper, not a slave. And so, my love for God, if it is right, and Steve mentioned this the other day, and he's right, if this relationship is not right, this relationship can't be right. So I had to get my relationship with God right before my relationship with my wife became right. And can I tell you that when my relationship with God wasn't right, I didn't like myself. Because I knew my relationship with God wasn't what it should be. Right? Right? Brothers and sisters, when we try to build the foundation 
regardless of what it is, if we're not building it upon our relationship with God, then we have absolutely no ability for that relationship to be successful. It's going to fail. And it's going to fail when God's given us the ability to make it right. Why is love so great? Well, the Bible tells us that love is greater, greater than hope, greater than faith, 1 Corinthians 13. Love's the fulfillment of the law. Jesus came to this earth because why? He loved us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Christ came to this earth because he loved us. He shed his blood because he loved us. So that love, when we talk about Ephesians 5 and it compares the, the marriage relationship to Christ in the church, we see that sacrificial love. That willingness to, to die so that we might have a hope of eternal life. So when we truly love another person, as God would have us to love them, how are we going to treat them? Just like we want to be treated ourselves, right? Okay? And there's too many, too many marriage relationships that this is where they start getting off track. Where there starts to be an, an un, unspoken hierarchy in the household. And then it starts causing conflict. Love is great because it's right. Love is great because it's right. When a person truly loves God, we're going to obey what the will of God is. Right? When we obey the will of God, we believe, we obey, we're obedient to all that he commands of us. And again, that is studying to ensure that we are having the marital relationship as God has defined it in Scripture. If God hadn't given us the understanding of how to treat each other, where would we get an understanding of how to be married? Each man would do his own. Each man would do his own. See, again, this goes back to the chaos and anarchy that we were talking about on Monday night. All right? If there was no God, if there was no morals, if there was no law, but God has directed us. And, and let me be perfectly clear here. When we talk about the scriptures, and we talk about how God has defined marriage and how God tells us to treat each other, brothers and sisters, it's not just for Christians. Right? All men are amenable to the law of God. And so when he tells us how to be married, how to be husbands and wife and pleasing to him, that's applicable to all. Love's great because without it, even great things lose their value. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. Beginning verse 1, Paul says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but had not love, I've become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove, that I could remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. Paul's talking about here individuals who have specific gifts 
And they were going about, and even if they were doing the gifts that they were possessed with, they weren't doing it with what? They weren't doing it with love. And if they weren't doing it with love, what does Paul say? It was of nothing. It was of no value. So he's telling us, even great things, even these gifts that they had, even though they had great possessions to do things, when they did it without love, it was worthless. It was worthless. And love is great because with it, the smallest, most insignificant things become great. Guys, have you ever noticed... I'm just going to throw this out here. On anniversaries, most wives don't need a diamond ring, don't need a fur coat. They need what? They need recognition. They need an understanding that you you love them, right? That you're that they're important to you. And so, the most insignificant thing that you might do becomes great becomes great. That's the type of relationship husbands and wives need to have. Not one that is built on what have you done for me lately, not built on what have you bought for me lately, not on what you're promising to do for me in the future, but the fact that in the present, here and now, you love me. I know you love me. Not just words, but actions. Okay? And we're not talking, uh, let's back up, we're not talking sexual actions, all right? We're talking about other stuff on top of that, okay? Little things that can be done in order to help improve the relationship. Love's great because when you have it, you'll do other things you should do, provided you know what to do. Ladies, admit, we're dumb. Men, for the most part, are dumb, right? Come on, Rose, you can admit it. Sometimes we don't know what you want us to do. Okay? Don't even suspect. Don't even suspect. Communication. Communication has got to be a two-way street. If I don't communicate to you, if you don't communicate to me, what are we left with? Suspicions. Right? And when you have suspicions, that causes the feeling of love, feeling of security to be what? Inhibited. Inhibited. Be less. You need to make your wife happy. Wives, you need to make your husband happy by doing just the little things. And love is great because it has such transforming power. Again, go back and think about the gospel of Christ. The story of God's love for man, his power to transform, and I use myself as an example, a drunk into what? A servant. Right? Hey, I grew up as an elder son. I knew better. And for that period of time when I was a drunk, guess what? I hated myself because I knew that I wasn't being what God wanted me to be. But you know what? I still remember that in the passages it tells me how to bring myself back to him through him. His love provided that ability. True love has the power to transform, and I want you to listen to this, fighting, bickering, fussing, fuming husbands and wives and the people who can build their marriage into a happy one. 
One of the things I always tell people in counseling is, I don't care which one of you gets home first in the day from work. When the other one comes in, the first thing you do to him is say, I love you and I'm glad to see you. Why? Because love diffuses. Love makes me feel what? Important, appreciated, right? It drove me... Okay, she's still getting here. Drove me nuts when I was traveling all the time. And when I would come home, first thing Linda would do when she'd meet me at the, at the door is tell me about what all the kids hadn't done right. or had, you know. And again, it was frustration on her part, right? You know, we were young, frustrated. She, she wanted some... I've been communicating with two- and four-year-olds all week, and I just need some adult communication, right? Okay. What we came to understand was, though, that, yeah, there's going to be that time we're going to vent about whatever's going on, but the first thing that we have to do is make sure that each other, what? Understands that they're still important to the other. I've been thinking about you, I love you, I care for you, and guess what? We're one. We're one. Love opens the door to a life of happiness on this earth. If you can't build or have love in your marriage, what's your marriage like? Do you want to go home? Difficult, isn't it? It can be extremely difficult. And then we know that that opens up a bunch of other challenges. And as we grow in love for God, for each other, and for ourselves, our marriages are going to be greater and greater stronger and stronger and can I say that they're going to be more influential in the world than we can be singularly because people are going to look at us and say what's so different about y'all why are you able to get through the pitfalls of life when 50% of the other people can't alright let me stop there questions comments I've got a couple of questions for you. Uh, you put those statistics up on the uh, screen there when you first started. And out of the, the percentage of failed marriages, okay, applying that to the church, what, what, are there any statistics on the number of failed marriages in the church when the marriage was of two people of the Christian faith, members of the church? Are there any statistics on that? Keep me if I'm wrong, but the last statistic I saw was 46%. Church, churches, church's divorce rate was very close to the national that's average. Just, I'm talking about yes. They married yes. Both members of the yes. Okay, so my second question was we're talking about the seven to eight kids leaving the faith first year of college. Mm -hmm. Are there any statistics in regards to them being children of marriages of faith or not children of marriages of faith? The statistics, again, and Steve, correct me if I'm wrong, the statistics I saw that out of the seven to eight, it was five to six, both parents were, well, five to six, so that's were seven Christians, to eight, so five were both to six, Christians. Yeah. Both parents were yeah. members of the church. Steve, you have any different? You, no, that's about right. Yeah. There's several actual books out now yeah. on, on the research, Yeah. and so it's, it's pretty steady in the numbers. We're doing a good job of getting close to the world. Yeah. All right, let's move on. 
So the first thing I would say, again, marrying a Christian. Again, the Bible stresses the oneness in marriage, and again, the difficulties that we have when a Christian marries an unbeliever. Again, because if I am to grow closer to God each and every day, if I, you know, go to Galatians 5, fruits of the Spirit, how easy is it me for how easy is it for me to grow in the fruits of the Spirit if I'm walking alone? You know what? There's another section there in Galatians 5 called what? Works of the flesh. Okay? When you have a situation where you have a Christian and a non-Christian together in the singular environment, and push comes to shove and fighting ensues and all that, where are they more apt to end up falling? The works of the flesh or the fruits of the Spirit? Unfortunately, brothers and sisters, it's the works of the flesh. And so we need to make sure that we're doing all that we can to not only ensure our spiritual growth, but also the spiritual growth of our spouse. Nothing is more important. Again, passages here, six, Matthew 6, 33, Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Nothing is more important to God than our spiritual growth. When one partner is a Christian and the other one's not, how do we worship? How do I truly worship God in spirit and truth together? Okay, now, I, I end again, understand that there are some couples that come and they worship, right? But if we're, you know, Again, continuing the long haul of not willing to become a Christian or not becoming a Christian, you know, is, is that a burden? Again, the attitudes that they have about what we do in the Lord's church. We're unique, right? Acapella singing versus instrumental music. Taking the Lord's Supper every first day of the week as opposed to what? Some that take it once a month, once a year, twice a year. Okay? Again, we have to be careful that we're not allowing ourselves to degrade in our faith because of this relationship. Scriptures indicate that husbands are to love your wives even as Christ loved the church and that wives are to submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Again, is this a passage that the world wants to hear? No, because they pervert this verse and say, oh, that's degrading to the woman. No, that's not degrading to the woman. That is the woman submitting to her husband as unto the Lord, and do any of us re re uh, resent submitting to the Lord? We better not. We better not, because he loves us. And the man, the husband, is to emulate that love. Now, Men, if we're not emulating that love that Christ has for the church, shame on us. And we need to get ourselves straight. Again, been there. He's given us the example. Showed us how. And tells us that we can and we should. When we talk about situations where one or the other spouse has not obeyed the gospel, again, sometimes very difficult for them to understand the concept of biblical teachings and the implications of those teachings. Baptism was one that, that comes to mind. And so again, 
Those are the things that as you guide and, and, and you know, counsel your children, they need to think about if they're truly putting their spiritual life first. We need to teach our children about who can marry. Now, again, I know in the world, and I know that even though some in the church disagree with what I put up on this board, but I will tell you, you cannot prove to me that this is not correct. There are only three categories of people in the scriptures that are able to be married. The first is those who have never been married before. The second are those who have previously married but whose former companion has passed away, and those who have previously married but are now divorced because their former companion was guilty of fornication. Okay? I can give you book, chapter, and verse for each one of those. And, I, and we're not going to get into the marriage, divorce, remarriage discussion tonight because we could take a month of Sundays to do that. But brothers and sisters, I as one whose sister has broken this? We need to not neglect very straightforward teaching in regards to this passage or these, or this, uh, these categories. Here's what I would suggest as we try to counsel our children about who to marry, whom to marry. Look for these qualities. First of all, purity of person. We live in a day and age where the sexual revolution is at an epidemic proportion. Right? I read the other day of, a, I don't know, Yale or Harvard or somebody that they had voted that they're going to give out free contraceptives to all students now. For what purpose? For what purpose? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Brothers and sisters, we need to do a job in helping our children understand the sexual relationship and where it is allowed in our lives. And it's where. Hebrews 13.4 says, the marriage bed is what? Honorable. And when we talk about fornication, we talk about lasciviousness, we talk about all these things... All of those we can, we can trace back to events that the world says, oh, you know, it's okay, right? But it's sin. It's sin. Go back and look at Genesis chapter 39. Joseph refused to commit fornication with a woman who sought to seduce him into a highly immoral situation. What was his comment in verse 9? How then can I do this great wickedness? Right? And he didn't leave it there. What does he say? And sin against God. Brothers and sisters, we have a mentality in our world where if it's not seen, it doesn't count. If it's not known, it's not sin. And brothers and sisters, that is absolutely false. God knows not only the intent of our heart, but the actions that we partake in. And when we talk about wickedness, which is Satan born, we need to understand that it is sin against God. And I don't care if my wife knows, my husband knows, my mother knows, my father knows, my preacher knows, the elders know, it does not matter. It's sin against God. 
and the problems that we've had so much in our families over the last two generations is we do not talk to our children about sex. And when there's no voice in the home, guess what? They're going to get advice somewhere. And where's that going to be from? It's not going to be from the Bible. They're going to go to friends. They're going to go to movies. They're going to go to websites. You know this country averages a million new porn sites on the internet every year? There's no lack a place for our children to gain quote-unquote knowledge. But the problem is the knowledge that they gain is not of God. Unless it's coming from a Christian home. We need to make sure they understand the purity of self leading into marriage. And, and the purity of self of the person that they're looking to marry. How about the maturity of mind? Marriage, is it for the mature or is it for the immature? Unfortunately, most of them are immature. I don't know most of us are immature. Marriage is for mature. It's an institution that calls for adults or mature individuals, again, to enter in. Why? Because I am no longer after self. I have now combined with another person. And, hey, I don't care how old you are. When you marry someone, you are taking in all of the um, learnings and situations and, and uh, experiences that they've had, and now you're all of a sudden in a four-wall building together, 24 hours a day. How's that work out? Right? You've got to be mature in order to be able to have that relationship where again, you need to go back to the other slide where we're talking about fussing and fighting and all that stuff, where that doesn't occur. Because you can work things out. Work things out. It's for those who've established a love for one another and a love for God. Maturity of mind, again, you go back to three verses. We looked at Genesis 2, Ephesians 5, Matthew 19. Again, specifically talks about doing what? Leaving our father and our mother, and the two become one. Okay? Now, when I was a kid, my dad was um, a farmer, and we lived right across the road from my mother's parents. And I can't even begin to tell you the number of nights in my life where I would wake up in the middle of the night screaming, yelling, crying, slamming. And when I heard the slamming, I knew what was happening. Mom was on her way across the road to Mommy and Daddy's. Okay? Brothers and sisters, you never lose the desire for the counsel of your parents. You never lose the desire for the guidance of your parents. But when you become married, 
your parents are not a part of that family house. And if you cannot be mature enough to put your parents in the proper place, which is parents, I love them, I'll seek guidance from them, but I will not allow them to interject themselves into every fight and every feud and every issue that me and, and, and my spouse have, can I suggest to you you're not mature enough to be married? God calls for you to create a separate home and to live in a manner which is dictated by him. You know, we can look at a number of different characteristics of immaturity. Selfishness, marked by ingratitude for the love and devotion shown to you by your spouse. You ever, you know, seen people that, I mean, that one spouse will just do everything under the sun for that spouse and she's like, okay, fine, you know, fine, whatever. That's ingratitude. Someone who demands to have their own way and will scream or say hateful, hurtful things to get their own way or they'll have little or no sense of responsibility or obligation. Brothers and sisters, if we have our children looking at somebody that fits this mold to marry, can I please beg of you to yell at them, stop. Stop. And let's look at what the scripture teaches. Also, immaturity is characterized by the inability to meet conflicts or problems of life without bad emotional reactions. Again, how many times have we seen through the years, you know, relationships ending in anger and jealousy, violent tempers, you know, physical altercations? Again, if somebody's like that, oh, 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 he'll change, right? He'll change after we're married. No. If anything, if anything, the pressure of marriage makes this situation worse. And so our children need to understand, hey, you don't deserve that. You don't deserve, you know, I, I've, how many times has, 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 has your child, you know, had a breakup and, oh, they were the only one for me? No. You know, I told, I told my daughter, you know, I said, honey, by the time you reach 25, if you haven't married by that point, you're going to have beaten off more than probably 20 or 25 guys. Right? Because guys want, women want men and women who treat them in a loving and godly way. We need to teach our children about the permanency of marriage. We live in a society where if you don't like it, what? Get rid of it. You don't like it, divorce. Again, that's not what God calls for us to do. He intends for marriage to be lifetime. Look with me at Matthew chapter 19. One, now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea, Judea beyond the Jordan. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. And the Pharisees also came to him, testing him, saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? 
And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning, beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall be joined, or, and, and be joined to... Yeah, sorry. Man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Does he end there? No. Therefore, what God has joined together, what? Let man not put asunder. Jesus is saying what God has joined. Again, we go back to that slide where we looked at the triangular, triangular relationship between man and woman and God. And when we understand that this relationship is not just between the two of us, but it's also got God at his head, brothers and sisters, he's got an expectation of us to work it out. And if you can't work it out on your own, they're the thing called brothers and sisters in Christ who love you and care for you and desire to help you in any way they possibly can. All right? Starts, start, starts with the elders and the preacher and, and a plethora of others. Yeah, go ahead. How are you going to work it out if one of you uses the Bible for working it out, and the other uses however they live. Yeah, that's that's almost it's a difficult situation. Yeah. It is, it is, it is. You know, again, I, I firmly believe you've heard me say that. You know, we got to make sure our prayer life is right because you know God through prayer can handle a whole lot of situations to make them work out. You know, the providence of God is an amazing, amazing thing. And we need to make sure we're utilizing prayer. Again, passages there. There's passages in the handout that talks about the permanency of marriage. Look for the quality of a spirit of a selfless servant of selfless service. Again, Paul's "Be ye kind" philosophy of Ephesians four thirty two is imperative in marital relationships. Right? I seek to serve my spouse. My spouse seeks to serve me. And in doing so, we're both serving who? God. Golden rule of Matthew 7, 12. And then again, just look at the example of Jesus and how he treated all individuals. Again, think about this. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, sinless, one of the last phrases he says on the cross regarding those who had put him on that cross was, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. Man, if he can forgive people that nailed him to the cross, who am I not to be able to forgive in a human relationship? particularly with someone who's my wife or my spouse. You've got to look for the qualities of trust. Brothers and sisters, nothing will kill a relationship faster than marrying someone who has continuous jealous issues, jealousy issues. Trust. Proverbs 31, look with me there. <clears throat>
11 and 12, verses 11 and 12. The heart of her husband, what? Safely trusts her. So he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. I'll tell you, when iPhone first came out with a little tracker device on it, on the phone so you know where the phone was. Man, when my kids were living at home, that thing was turned on. I knew where my kids were. Okay? Never even dawned on me to ever turn it on for Linda. Why? I trust her. Not that I didn't trust my kids, but I didn't. Okay? I trust my wife. My wife trusts me. There's, there's not ever a concern or a, a question about where or what we are or what we're doing or where we're at. We've got to have that kind of trust in our marriages. And that, you know, again, I'll be honest with you, you know, when I was traveling all the time, uh, you know, I, I couldn't understand where Linda had some real trust issues. And she'd been, you know, right in, in you know, worrying about that much separation and, you know, separation does not make the heart grow fonder, Right? Huh? Out of sight, out of mind. That's right, out of sight, out of mind. But that's what, our, that's what our marriages have to have as a quality. It has to be a complete and total trust. Because again, knowing that we are each reaching for that goal of heaven. And again, we go back to if we both aren't reaching for that goal of heaven, if, you're, if your goal is not heaven, what is your goal? What is your goal? Whatever you want. Okay. And if, it is, and if it is whatever you want, then can I suggest to you you're wasting your time? Because, I mean, hey, you may attain it, but what? You're going to lose it. You're going to lose it. Better enjoy it. Yeah. Loyalty of love. Loyalty of love. Should never have to worry about whether your spouse loves you or not. It should be the type of love that Christ has for the church. It has to be the type of love that Christ has for the world. It's the type of love that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13 and all the qualities that go real. <coughs> Patience and, and uh, kindness and all those things he talks about. And it's the kind of love that is the bond of, perfe of perfectness. And it should be a fervent love and one that freely pays its binding obligations. I don't ever ask Linda to do something and her response back to me is, well, what are you going to do in return? That's not, that's not how the relationship works. That's not how a godly marriage works. I do, she does, we do, <coughs> and it's because of our love for each other. You need to have the proper respect for marriage and the roles that the husband and wife are given by God. Again, there is no justification in what the world says regarding a wife's role in a family. They say that she is underappreciated. She's, uh, you know, shown to be lower than man. Well, okay, well, the husband is head of the wife as scriptures dictate, as Christ is the head of the church. 
But brothers and sisters, if your husband is loving his wife as Christ loves the church, there should not be any, any resentment on this relationship. The husband's to love the wife the way Christ loves the church. And again, this is not a dictatorial, this is not a tyrannical, it's not overbearing, it's not unreasonable in nature. It's a, I love you, and I'm fulfilling my role that God has called me to have. Again, understand the role of the family is given to us by the authority, God. I didn't make it up. Steve didn't make it up. Tim didn't make it up. God dictated. And again, as we have our role, we are to handle it in the manner in which God calls us to. And they need to have a spiritual attitude predominant in their life. Again, we talked about the triangular relationship, God, husband, and wife. And, and again, you know, it's, it's, a, it's one thing to sit here and say, I'm religious, I'm Christian, I'm, but my spiritual attitude has to be predominant in my life. Okay? Talk's cheap. How do we live our lives? Marriage is not a twosome relationship, it's a threesome relationship. And when we talk about choosing a spouse, the first question you need to ask yourself and have our children ask themselves is, will this person help me what? Get to heaven. Get to heaven. And if the answer is no, can I beg of you to tell our children, wait until they are in a position to help you get to heaven before you marry them? Because that's the most important thing is your soul. Choose someone who has a strong faith in God and that faith comes by only what the Bible says, not traditions or writings of men. As we close this evening, brothers and sisters, the easiest thing to sum up what we've talked about is the fact that marriage as God intended is for those who love God and love one another. Again, you go to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. He says, Husbands and wives are heirs together of the grace of life. If one is not a Christian, if one is not faithful, this cannot be possible. No other way can we live in a blessed relationship. And again, hey, the way God designed marriage, it is supposed to be like heaven on earth. Right? Our spouse, our relationship, and our children, it is supposed to be a preview of what we will see in heaven with all those that have gone before us. And that only comes by walking in the ways of the Lord. And that's not just one of us. That's both of us.